Hello. Oh, hey, Mom. Hi. You ready? Uh, yeah. You want to talk about this one? I was really taken by his emphasis on the old world, new world concept. He really bought into that, the CEO, Adam Pettit, CEO of Kanji. Yeah, that's the heart of the strategic narrative structure that I use with every team I work with. Yeah, I knew it was familiar, and he appreciated your more limited team. It's easier to get consensus, I guess. Every CEO I work with, they want to include a lot of people in this work because it just uh, impacts so many different areas in the company. And I limit it to four people in addition to the CEO. It's interesting. Our community recently had a discussion group of 40 people. It failed. I, I, was, I hear it failed, but I didn't even go because I knew that wouldn't work out. Yeah, it's the same. Sometimes the CEO will ask me for, you know, could we just have one more person? Once or twice, I, would, I allowed it, and I found I was sorry. How can you have a discussion group of 40 people? You can't. This is The Bigger Narrative. I'm Andy Raskin. And my guest for this episode is Adam Pettit, CEO of Kanji. Kanji started as what's called a device management platform. IT departments at big companies use it to keep tabs on all their Apple devices, control what software is on them, troubleshoot problems, all that. And with more big companies embracing Apple hardware, Kanji has grown fast. They've raised over 180 million from investors, including Tiger Global, Graycroft, First Round Capital. But from the beginning, Adam had a bigger vision for Kanji. He felt that Kanji could serve as a shared platform, not only for IT teams that used Apple devices, but also for their information security or InfoSec teams. After all, when InfoSec personnel detect security vulnerabilities, they have to quickly collaborate with IT to roll out patches. But at most companies, IT and InfoSec operate on separate software platforms, causing all kinds of delays and headaches. When Adam approached me, we were in the process of really expanding the breadth of our product. And part of that included this move away from being strictly like an IT product sold to IT buyers uh, and into this world where we were now selling to IT buyers and security buyers. And we were kind of serving as a an IT and an InfoSec or information security platform. And so with that, it added additional complexities of how do we talk to both of these audiences without sacrificing the quality of our message and the power of our message with our core buyer who's been just so loyal to us and it remains so important to us. You reached out to me about a year before we started working together. And I think during that time, you were working on it and, and you came up with this phrase. We came up with this phrase, device harmony. And then when you came to me, you said, you know, we got this phrase, we kind of like it, but we still don't know how to tell the story behind it. Is that a fair assessment of where you were? I think that's fair. We knew that our product was expanding to do more things. And we knew that this expansion story was more interesting than the typical, well, we used to do A and B and now we do C. We knew it meant something bigger than that. We actually hired another firm. So when we, we reached out to you originally, you can edit this part out. Your fee was really expensive. We said, we like Andy. <laughs> I'm not going to edit really it out. <laughs> he's really expensive. And so then we ended up reaching out to another firm that was less expensive. And the end product of that work was really just, we like device harmony, but we didn't get the thing that we need. And then we went back to, and your fee had actually doubled since we talked and we ended up <laughs> pulling it bigger anyway, which we're glad we did. When I first heard device harmony, 
I wasn't sure what to make of it. And so we talked a lot about like, well, how can we tell a story where we understand what someone means when they say device harmony? Could you take me through the story that you came to that sets it up? In the past, IT and InfoSec, meaning these groups, these teams, or even these disciplines operated with independent mandates. Old world, two different disciplines. And what we see and was an opinion we had even going into this process was that in a new world, those two worlds were merging, converging from a tool set standpoint, from a communication standpoint. When we first started the business, a lot of our buyers were IT managers, heads of IT, CIOs. Now, the majority of our new buyers coming in or a big portion, they're IT and security managers, they're CISOs, they're directors of information security, directors of security and trust. And you see a lot more of this IT and security are the same organization and they roll up to the same executive. You came up with one phrase to capture the new game that you're putting out there for folks. So the phrase we came up with was tear down the wall between IT and InfoSec. I'm curious, like when you use that with people, what happens? Most of the people we talk to, these are people who have built careers in IT and or InfoSec, have some story about how challenging it has been to communicate with their counterpart in the other department. So if I'm talking to an IT buyer, they say it's so difficult working with InfoSec. If I talk to an InfoSec buyer, they say it's so difficult working with IT. Like it's so much easier when I say tear down the wall between IT and InfoSec and someone says, wow, that's so obvious. I have five stories about why that's important <laughs> to me and why that that's meaningful. Like that makes my job a lot easier. I love hearing that because ultimately all of this messaging and story stuff is not for presenting, but for creating conversation and creating energy on the other side for them to talk and start sharing stuff. Can you talk about one or two capabilities, features you've built that deliver on the tear down the wall story? So take vulnerability management. This is a product where Kanji will scan your devices actively for vulnerabilities and surface those vulnerabilities. And we've built our proprietary algorithm, which allows us to do that. And we also have threat intelligence team that's manually looking at the data that's surfacing and, and forming opinions about these vulnerabilities. Well, traditionally those vulnerabilities are surfaced and then the security team needs to go and communicate with the IT team that has the tools needed to go and remediate those vulnerabilities. A lot of these vulnerabilities live in applications, they live in software, and that software is managed by the IT department. And now with our platform, all of the tools exist in one place for you to both surface the vulnerabilities and remediate the vulnerabilities. And that's one really simple example. This platform for us is the beginning of the future of the way that people work. It's the beginning of the new world. The new world is not only are the vulnerabilities surfaced and the tool set and the communication lives in a single platform, but everything is automated because you have the intelligence all in one place. And so a lot of the work that we're doing under the hood is about the power that exists by bringing these tool sets together that we can bring to our customers. Mm -hmm. So then tearing down the wall between IT and InfoSec, this became our definition of device harmony. Right, right. We're harmonizing the way that these teams can now work together. We're harmonizing the tool set that they use. We're harmonizing the way they communicate. And so far, the feedback from our customers has been they get it, 
it feels right and it feels like a really a strong direction to lean into. So we've been really happy with the results so far. That's great. I think I see this challenge that a lot of teams face, especially as they go like you did from we had one product really successful and now we're going to start either building or acquiring other products. And now the story we're telling has to grow bigger. And like I think you said earlier, we kind of have two choices. One is this plus this plus this, but that's a confusing story. (laughs) And so you've created this new umbrella story about how all these new products and pieces fit together that makes sense of it. How does this narrative play a role in your leadership? I think it's been really helpful as a leader to have such a powerful, clear message for the team about the purpose. We are building new tools. It's not just to make more money. That's a consequence. We're building new tools that are changing the way people work. They're driving productivity. They're reducing exposure. This message allows our team to stay really aligned on what we're building and why we're building it. It's been helpful already. I mean, as we think about the trade-offs, every business has trade-offs. You want to build a lot of things. You're limited to the number of resources you have. And you need to think about what we build in in which order. And this has been really helpful. As we have a, a large list of priorities, what is going to move the needle for our customers in this area of like tearing down the wall, of mm-hmm. bringing these mm-hmm. teams together, of automating things that were historically manual. And so it's, it's I think, really helpful to, as a leader to drive alignment for your team. I love that, that the narrative becomes almost the North Star for the product backlog. I hear that a lot. Yeah, and I think it's often misconstrued as, or this was at least potentially unique to us. But at first, there was concern about what that might do to our focus on our core customer. And so there was a little bit of tweaking of the messaging up front, just to make it clear that our core product is the foundation of what we've built. It has our full attention. And without it, we will not be successful in anything else. And I can imagine other companies that are introducing a rather extreme shift in their messaging, you might get concerns. Well, does this mean we're leaving our customers behind? For us, it was really important that our employees and our customers and prospects knew day one that like at the end of the day, our number one objective is to build the best Apple device management platform on the planet. Number two is to tear down the wall by introducing these security products but that the two had to coexist together in order for us to really move the needle. Mm -hmm. What would you say was harder than you thought it would be in getting the team aligned on the narrative? You have different types of employees. Some are rather conservative and some like to take risks. And you know that there's a certain level of risk taking that's required to really affect step change in the business and in the market. And our mission is to change the way the entire market thinks about these products. And it will take time because we're one company. So there are plenty of people that you hire. And when they think about risk reward, they don't really want to take as big of a risk. You know, we don't have a demand problem. Why risk changing that? We have incredibly high customer satisfaction, very high retention, very high expansion. Like all of those metrics are essentially top decile or higher for our business. 
And so there are voices who say, why risk changing something that's working so very well? That was, I'd say, the biggest obstacle, at least my leadership style. I don't like to just say, yeah, we've heard you and we're moving on. I like to hear them out, make them feel heard, kind of incorporate their thoughts into the process. And and that is challenging. Now, obviously, you have a small working group. You can't have everyone in the company involved. Otherwise, nothing would ever get done. But I'd say as a leader, making this big of a shift, that's one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge. And then I guess as it gets out there, people kind of come along. We made the change to our website with the new messaging. And at the same time, we changed a few other things. And since we made that change, we've had record demand months. <laughs> we see really high conversion rates on our website. And when people get into our funnel and they start talking to us, people love the messaging. That's and that's more qualitative. Yeah. But yeah, it yeah. certainly yeah. hasn't hurt conversions rates and it hasn't hurt win rates and it hasn't hurt any of those other down funnel metrics. So we're feeling really good about it. That's great. Any advice you'd give to CEOs who are thinking about building a narrative, going on a similar journey to yours? I think the team that you assembled to be part of those working sessions is critical. You were very strict that we follow your process. And part of that was selecting the right group. So me as the CEO, and I had a number of people I could select. I think you capped it at three or four people. That's hard. In our organization, I could have easily added 10 or 12 people and many more that would have happily joined those sessions and wanted an opinion. And it's hard to say, we're going to make this very big shift in the way we talk about the company, both internally and externally. And it's going to be decided essentially by three or four people. My advice is it's critical that you get those three or four people right. And I'll also say this, you had that right. You had limiting it right. You have to limit it. You have to keep it to a small group of people. Why? Each voice that you add to the room makes it exponentially more difficult to arrive at any sort of conclusion on anything. Also, a big part of reaching consensus for me is I have this process where I run meetings where I pose a question, I ask everybody to write down their answers, and then I everybody share them in a very controlled way. And virtually every team I work with, at the end, I'll ask, you know, what worked? And they'll always say that process was really key. But you are a little different. You really like to have these free-form discussions. And I was like, okay, let's see how that worked. And, and I think it actually did work okay. I think it worked really well, Andy, and also <laughs> better than okay. I like those free-form discussions, but I also, the way my mind works, it's like a series of drop-down menus. So it's like we can start free-form, but then the moment there's any sort of consensus or close to, I want to say, okay, well, that thing's done now. Let's move on to this other thing. And so you naturally start to constrict the, the topic of conversation and, and whittle it down to a point where you're making decisions. But, you know, look, I respect your process a lot. You did a great job. So um, thanks. Yeah. And and I, I learned a lot from you and how you navigated with your team, because, I mean, it's always contentious. But I think your team was making one of the biggest leaps of a team I've worked with. And, you know, so maybe, you know, it's just natural. It was going to be like that. I think you said we made the biggest leap out of anyone you worked with. And we were the best team you ever worked with. So And you were one of the most fun teams I ever worked with. Great. All right. We'll stick with that. That's good. All 
I learned a lot working with Adam and his team. And one of the biggest things is what he mentioned about messaging to current customers that Kanji's traditional device management is still a top priority. You know, I think a few years ago, I might have adopted a more purist mindset and said like, hey, you have to commit to the new direction. And if, uh, some people don't want to come along, screw them. But leaders like Adam have a really tough tightrope to walk. They want to tell a bigger story that's going to attract more people, fuel growth, but they really need their existing loyal audience to see themselves in that story too. I think Adam's doing a good job of that so far, and it's gonna be really interesting for me to see how he continues to navigate that with device harmony and tearing down the wall. The Bigger Narrative is produced and edited by me, Andy Raskin, with music by Stephen Emerson and podcast cover art by Angela May Chen. Carla Borelli inspired the show by telling me I should do it over coffee. Thanks to Adam Pettit, Sylvia McCutcheon, Nathan Sparks, Daniel Scott, Weldon Dodd, and everyone at Kanji. Special thanks also to Judy Raskin, Richard Raskin, Emily Raskin, Eli Raskin, Silvio Menendez, and Carol Wasserman. And remember, the company story is the company strategy. <laughs>